Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to hop into our, uh, our Advent reflection this morning. Lord God, uh, this is the season where we remember that you have come to us. Lord, you've come to be with us. Lord, that is what Christmas is all about. You took on flesh that you may dwell with us, Lord. You may be with us, God. And so this morning as we come to gather in worship, Lord, we invite you in your presence to be with us in our worship, in our reflection on your word, in our communion, in our community this morning, God. We just ask, please be present with us this morning, God. Um, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Uh, this is my first time back up here in a few weeks, which has been, you know, really, uh, really fun to be back. I do feel a little rusty, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, but it's been fun to uh, kind of be part of the congregation for the last few weeks and uh, just kind of take in some of the really cool messages that other people have been sharing. Um, if you don't know why it's been a few weeks since I've been up here, it's because Julie and I recently adopted a beautiful little girl named Gracelyn Kathleen, and we're kind of getting back in the groove of things here, so you're going to see me up here preaching a little bit uh, more. Um, now it's kind of an interesting thing to, uh, you know, have a, have a newborn uh, baby around Christmas time. It kind of like adds a little bit of an interesting way to kind of take in the whole season. Um, and, uh, you know, today's message, we're going to be doing an Advent reflection on that second candle of Advent, the one that uh, Chris talked about just a little bit ago, the, the candle of peace. It's, it's, it's burning right here, right next to me. And it kind of got me thinking about babies in peace uh, over the last few weeks as I was preparing for this message. Um, Jesus was a baby, and probably like all babies coming out of the womb, he was probably crying, uh, scared by it all. And when you really think about it, babies kind of have it rough, right? They get pulled out of this warm, safe, peaceful space that they've been in for nine months, the, the womb, and it's all that they've known for their whole you know, short life, but it's all that they've known for their entire life. And they get brought into this unknown, sort of chaotic, scary, bright, loud world, which is a, you know, assault on their senses, right? And completely robs them of that peace that they had when they were in the womb. And it's one of the things that we have kind of been told as we, you know, when, when Gracelyn is crying, when she's in a state of peacelessness, right? Adding, you know, giving us plenty of peacelessness, right? Is that you're supposed to bring her back into the womb. That's actually one of the things you do to calm a, a crying baby down is actually bring them back into the womb. So you're supposed to replicate it. And that's what like swaddling is all about. Uh, you know, white noise that kind of drowns out other sounds. It's supposed to kind of sound like it's supposed to be in the, in, in the womb rocking her, stuff like that. It's supposed to kind of replicate the, the womb for them to kind of bring them back into a state of peace, and I've been thinking about how, in some ways, right, like, we spend our whole life on a journey trying to get back into a space of peace, right? Like, from the moment we're born for the rest of our life, we are feeling the effects of the chaotic world that we have been brought into. And we're trying to figure out what does it look like for us to get back into a space of peace. We obviously can't get back into the womb again, but we can try to find other ways to find peace in the world. And that's really a, a constant, I think, battle or struggle that many people go through. I think if it were more socially acceptable, more people would probably cry like a baby uh, when, when, when they're feeling their peace rot from them. 
Now, the church tradition around Christmas has a lot to say about peace. That's why one whole uh, Sunday of Advent is dedicated towards it. And it's often associated with a specific passage in Isaiah 9, 2 to 7. And so what I want to do is read that for us this morning, and then we're going to uh, reflect on it uh, as a church, okay? So let's, let's hop into it. Let me read those uh, verses for us. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. So, as we read through this passage, especially at the very beginning, we notice people living in incompleteness, brokenness, a real uh, lack of peace. That is the state that they're in. That's who is receiving this message is people who badly need peace, right? They're living in a land of deep darkness. They're in slavery. They're heavily burdened, we're told. They're oppressed. They're plagued by violence, right? And so peace is something they deeply need. Now, we could, you know, we could try to go back into the historical situation here to kind of talk exactly what that looked like for them. I actually don't think that's that important for this passage to be relevant for us, right? Because we all uh, feel this lack of peace. Like I said, I think it's a, a journey that we're constantly uh, on from the time we're born until we die, is trying to get back to a place of peace, right? And maybe our situation is different, right? Maybe slavery would be a really strong word to describe your lack of peace, Okay, but regardless, everyday peace gets kind of picked away at us. Now, when we talk about peace, what is it that we mean? I think it's good for us to kind of reflect on that. The dictionary definition of it is um, freedom from disturbance or tranquility. All right, that's what we mean a lot of times when we talk about peace. And when we think about our peace being robbed, I think it usually looks like this. Here's a little example from my own life, which I think is actually kind of a good metaphor for life in general. For the last few years, uh, we have had these little woodpeckers that like to fly onto the side of our house and peck away at our, we have this old wood siding, it's terrible, I've been wanting to get rid of it ever since we bought our house, and we haven't gotten to it yet, and these woodpeckers love to make holes in the side of our house, um, and you can hear them. When you're sitting, you know, we're working or we're trying to relax or something, you just hear a tap, 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 right? And you can hear it from anywhere in the house. It drives me nuts, okay? And I'll, you know, I started by going outside and just throwing a stick at the birds. Uh, that was like my, my, my first response to try to get rid of them. And that would, you know, work for like five minutes and then they would just come back. Um, and so we tried some other stuff, like there's a special tape you can buy that you stick on your house. It's shiny. It's supposed to scare them away. Or like these things you can kind of hang from the side of your house. And that worked a little bit too. Um, but ultimately, I had to resort to borrowing a BB gun from my neighbor and kind of trying to pick them off, which I know sounds terrible. I'm not even sure if it's legal 
okay? But it, that's the thing that finally got rid of these birds, okay? That was kind of how desperate I was to, to stop these birds. Now, the reason that it's such a problem and I'm so worried about it, isn't, you know, it, it, you have to really think about what is it that's causing that sort of anxiety or that disturbance in my peace, right? And it's these types of questions that float around in my head every time I hear that tap, 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 tap on the side of our house. It's questions like, what if the woodpeckers make holes so big that they start to get into the walls of our house and they start living in, you know, the walls of, of our house? That would be pretty bad. What happens if the holes get so big that other animals start getting in? Right? We've had squirrels in our house before, I, not from woodpecker holes, from other places. It's not fun to have animals running around inside your house. All right? But other questions start to come into my mind too. Like, What if people see our house and they see these holes? What are they going to think of me if they see our house is filled with holes on the siding? Right? They're going to start to think, that's an ugly looking house. Does that reflect on the people who live in it in some way? Do they think Joel is incompetent? to solve the problem, or that he's, like, lazy, like, he just doesn't care. Like, that starts to, I'm afraid of the opinion that's going to be formed of me if my house is covered in holes, right? And so it starts as a minor annoyance, right? But it starts to bubble over into, eventually, this kind of despair every time you hear that tap, tap, tap at the side of your house, right? They're back. I'm never going to get rid of these woodpeckers. I think that's kind of you know, an actual example of peace being robbed, but I also think it's a bit of a metaphor for a lot of us and how, what it looks like for our peace to be robbed on a day-to-day basis. Like, I think we probably feel like there are things that are pecking away at our peace constantly too, right? Maybe it's the, the full inbox that you open up when you start work in the morning, right? Every time you see just how many emails you have to respond to, it's just like a little tap, 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 tapping away at your piece. Uh, maybe it's the kids. They've been extra crazy this week, right? And, and it just every single time you hear them kind of running around like crazy and you're like, what has gotten into them today? It's another tap, 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 right? It could be your neighbors or roommates that you live with who just kind of constantly get on your nerves, doing little things here and there, tap, 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 tap. Right? It's the never-ending, maybe, cycle of tests at school. You're like, man, I just finished this test, but what did that do? I just got to do another one, right? Tap, tap, tap. Uh, it's the bills piling up. You're not sure how you're going to pay them. It's the never-ending work, maybe, that's piling up, giving you a sort of burnout as it comes up more and more and more. Tap, tap, tap. Maybe it's the constant push notifications you get on your phone. All right? you, every time you pick it up, there's 20 more of them, and you're like, I got to respond to all of these. Tap, tap, tap. Right? Maybe it's the fatigue of the millions of choices you feel like you have to make on a day-to-day basis. Maybe it's small things like which of the hundred uh, like options of um, headphones that I'm going to buy as a gift for my, uh, for my friend do I get? I have to read the reviews of all of them. That's so exhausting, all the choices that we have to think of every day. On top of the big choices that we have to make, things like our career, our, you know, what, maybe what major we're going to have in school, uh, making decisions for our kids that are going to resonate out, right, down, the, down the, the, the years, right? It's just tap, tap, tap constantly. The news cycle that we read constantly that stresses us out to no end. Um, and, and on, you know, the low-grade fear on top of all of that we feel of our hopes and dreams, hoping that they'll come too, but the uncertainty around them all the time, knowing whether or not it's going to come true, right? Tap, 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 all of it building up on us constantly. And we get to, you know, we start asking these big questions like I, you know, was telling you about that I ask about myself, 
you know, and in terms of how other people are going to view me in terms of how I respond to these things going on around me. We ask these big questions, right? Am I, am I, am I responding to these well? Are people going to think well of me based on how many of these emails I get to or how I make my kids look or which of these decisions I make, if they're right or not, right? All of it is so exhausting. Tap, 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 constantly robbing us of our peace, And when you study American society, it's clear it's taking a huge effect on us, right? The mental health crisis that we're experiencing right now is incredible, right? The anxiety and depression are incredibly rampant. And even things that seem very basic can be very hard sometimes for people. Things like going on a date or, you know, going to see people at work, right? Going to see family at holidays. These kinds of things start to take an outsized stress and anxiety on us doing them because of all the things that seem to pile up on us. And despite all of our access that we have to therapy, to medications, all the awareness that we have that we should be trying to take care of our mental health, right? The problems still continue to, to pile up and to the point where it seems like it's an epidemic, a pandemic, maybe, a mental health crisis that we're all living in in the middle of, of American society right now. So something seems like it's not working. Something seems like it's not working. We are in a people who badly need peace. Now, it turns out that God is aware of our peace crisis, and he has been from the beginning. Right? We are like the people in Isaiah who often are walking in darkness. Now, sometimes the thing about darkness is it doesn't actually give you a sense for what is going on around you, how bad things might be. But when the light shines on us, maybe we suddenly become aware of how much lack of peace we actually have. When we read a passage like Jesus is Prince of Peace, the one that we follow, that we worship is the Prince of Peace, and we think about how little peace we might have, it kind of shines a light on us perhaps, right? Of how badly we need his peace. Right? We, we, we look to ourselves, or maybe we look to other people who lack peace to help us a lot of times instead of turning to Jesus. And we come up with ways to manage it all, right? But here's the thing. In we, reality, we don't need a manager. We need a deliverer. And that's what this passage is talking about. That's what Christmas is about, is a deliverer, one who brings us peace. The title of this child king who is coming, he's wonderful, counselor, Uh, mighty, everlasting, and the prince of peace. He will establish a state of affairs, a kingdom that is totally defined by peace. Now, this passage left a real mark on the community that originally read it and in the centuries after it was written. And so it was natural for them to apply what they read in Isaiah to Jesus when he came. Right? And if you read through the rest of the Christmas story in, in Matthew and Luke, you see the word peace is woven into uh, all the different characters of the story, right? So, for example, when the angels appear to the shepherds, they end their message by saying to them, glory to God in the highest on earth, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's in Luke 2.14. Or in Luke 2, 29 to 33, when Simeon saw baby Jesus in the temple, he thanked God that he could now die in peace because he had seen the Messiah, right? This is an expectation that when Jesus comes, peace follows him. And the word peace, the Greek word for peace, irene, is used in the New Testament about 90 different times, right? It's very clear that this is a part of the kingdom that we're living in. We are assuming that peace is essential and has truly come. But I think it's important for us to talk about what do we mean by peace? What is it actually supposed to look like? Because maybe it's a question you're asking yourself right now, right? And you come to this every Christmas, you're like, what would it actually look like for me to live in this peace? 
right? So let's, let's talk about that a little bit today. Right? What do we mean by peace? And we'll talk about three different options that this could be and kind of, kind of ask if they really fit the, what the concept of peace is supposed to look like that we celebrate at Christmas, right? The first one I want to talk about is peace over all the earth. The second is peace in my circumstances. And then the last one, it would be inner peace, right? We'll kind of walk through these and we'll just talk about them and that will be kind of be the bulk of our, the rest of our message today, okay? So let's jump into this. First off, peace over all the earth. Maybe Jesus has come to ensure that there is no strife or no conflict anywhere on earth. He will be like a benevolent dictator who has complete control over all things and corrals evildoers and chaos and woodpeckers, right? He is like a a super intelligent AI who tells everyone what to do, giving them a blueprint for how they should live their own uh, lives and find personal fulfillment and remove things like famine or disease or war or injustice from human existence, right? Well, either Jesus is a liar or that can't be it because I think we all know that's not the world that we have been living in ever since Jesus came. And Jesus never actually claimed that that's what he had brought either. In his adult ministry, he said stuff like this in Matthew 10, 34. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Right? Jesus knew that his coming might actually, at least for a time, produce more conditions of chaos in the world for various reasons. We don't need to get into exegete this passage, but it turns out that he expected the world to continue to be a hard place to live in, no matter what. All right, second one. Uh, peace in all of my circumstances. Maybe is it that? And we can call this snowplow peace, all right? Maybe it just means that Jesus came to snowplow away all the hard things out of my path so I can drive through it unbothered. I used to have this Honda Fit. It was like a little tiny Honda Fit. Yes, Chris has one. Um, If you have a Honda Fit, you know that they're not meant for winter driving. And I could literally not drive this thing until the streets had been snowplowed. Uh, which driving in St. Paul, very difficult with a Honda Fit in the middle of the winter. Just going to throw that out there. Even when the snow plows do come out, it doesn't seem to make a difference, right? Maybe that's what Jesus came to do, is, is to make it so like we could drive our Honda Fits around and have uh, no snow, you know, getting in our way. Wouldn't that be great, right? And actually, I think that's what you often hear Christian, you know, teachers or pastors talk about this is what faith is supposed to be. It's supposed to get anything out of our way which could produce stress, right? It will give us uh, victory. Um, It will give us triumph. We will conquer the things in our path, dominion in our problems. This is something called the prosperity gospel. And I think it's, we find low-grade versions of this all over the place in Christianity. The sort of expectation that since Jesus has come, my life is going to go smoothly, right? Maybe he doesn't solve world hunger or anything, but I can expect to live in some relative comfort because of Jesus, right? Well, if that were true, I think we would read the Bible and we'd find the great figures in it talking about it, right? That would make sense, right? For If that's what peace on earth was supposed to look like when we read the Bible, we would find the people who are following Jesus would be experiencing that themselves, right? Well, let's, let's read this. In 2 Corinthians, um, Paul is kind of parading a list of his credentials as an apostle and listing why he was blessed, right? So we would expect this sort of snowplow piece to be what he would talk about if that were the case, right? Well, let me just read a little, 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 sorry, a little section here in 2 Corinthians. It comes from chapter 11. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once 
I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches that I oversee as their pastor. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? So it probably isn't that one either, right? And notice that some of these things are specifically tied to his circumstances, right? He talks about like boat crashes or actual oppression, like people trying to injure him. But some of it isn't circumstantial either, which I think is important to point out, right? He deals with the looming anxiety of what is going wrong and what could go wrong in the churches that he oversees, which I think is really interesting because we know what that's like, right? We know how prone we are to worry and have a lack of peace even when everything actually around us is pretty good. Have you noticed that? Like, you could be having a great day. Like, someone could ask you, how's your day going? And you're like, oh, everything's going really well, but I'm still super nervous or anxious because I'm thinking about all the things that could go wrong because I'm like, you know, uh, the law of averages or karma or something says that this good, I'm feeling good right now, but that means tomorrow something bad's really going to happen, right? We have this looming sense that something is going to go wrong if something good is happening to us in the moment. And so I think, ironically, the expectation that we have sometimes that things should never be hard actually lead us to more lack of peace because we are always so afraid. We have this fear of difficulty. We have this fear of something bad going on down the road. So even if God did snowplow away things and make it all easy for us, that doesn't actually mean we would have peace. It doesn't guarantee that at all. So it's not that. It can't be that. Well, last one here. Maybe is it some kind of peace in the inner world? I actually think we're getting a lot closer to the target here, but let's try to truly understand it. Okay, let's think for a minute about what peace means, okay? We talked about what the modern definition of peace is. If we'd open up a dictionary right now, we, we talked about how it would mean freedom from disturbance or tranquility. But is that what Isaiah meant? Is that what the New Testament authors mean when they use the word peace? In the, in the Hebrew, the word peace is, is a word called uh, shalom, right? And, and it kind of takes that concept that we might talk about of peace now, but it's a much fuller definition of it. And that's the concept that they're using in Isaiah and that the New Testament authors are also using as they write about it as well. What shalom means is helpful, helpful, def, helpful to look at it and how it's used in other places in the Old Testament as well. So here's an example from uh, Job 5.24. You will know your tents are shalom when nothing is missing. What's going on here is he's talking about how when you have all your sheep gathered into your tent for the night, then it's shalom. It's talking about how his tents are complete. They're filled to the full. And then they are shalom. Then his tents have peace. Another example would be in the Levitical law. If your cow wrecks your neighbor's field... You shalom them by paying them back. You make them complete by restoring them for whatever they're out now because their field has been wrecked. That's what shalom means. It means uh, bringing in completeness or restoration or wholeness. Okay, that's what shalom is about. 
This morning in the prayer that we prayed together, it talked about how as we ask for peace, we ask also for rest. We're asking to be restored or made complete. Because think about it, when we lack peace, it's often because we aren't whole in some way, or at least we don't feel whole in some way, and we're looking to be made whole again. Something is keeping us from feeling or being complete, being shalom, being filled with peace. It could be the break in fellowship with someone that we care about. Maybe we're in some sort of conflict with somebody. There's no completeness in our relationship, right? We want to shalom it. We want to bring it back to restoration or wholeness. That's what peace would look like there. Maybe it's the worry we have about tomorrow, and that keeps me from completeness of any joy today, right? We're looking to be uh, brought to restoration or fullness or wholeness. That's what peace would look like there. Maybe it's the anxiety that you have about a choice you have to make, which keeps you from any sort of complete confidence that you might have as you actually make the decision or move forward in it. You're looking for some completeness or some wholeness there. Lack of peace makes us not whole. And even if we manage them in some way, we become so burnt out or anxious, such a wreck in the midst of it sometimes, that what we need is to be restored. We need completeness. We need restoration. Okay? Now, like I said, Jesus is not a manager. He's a deliverer. And God delivers us by coming to be with us and restoring us. He makes us complete. And he does it by coming to be with us. That's what Christmas is all about. I think sometimes when we, you know, come to the Christmas story, something we do every year, if you've been a Christian for uh, more than a year, you know that this is a part of a, a normal rhythm that we have, and we can start to kind of be become so familiar with it that we start to fail to recognize how the Christmas story is actually has a, is, a, is central to the whole story of the entire Bible, right? It's actually central to the story the Bible's been telling from the start, Okay, it's not just one of a bunch of cool stories in Scripture. It's really the one everything leading up to it had been building towards. Right? The problem from the start in the story of Scripture is a, a sort of distance and incompleteness that is introduced into human relationship with God. And it happens right away at the very beginning, the Bible, right? In Genesis chapter 3, they're living in this place called the Garden of Eden. And humanity and God are living in this place of completeness with each other. This place where shalom is the perfect word to describe everybody and everything. But human sin, it all gets broken by a serpent of chaos and the people who begin to act like that serpent rather than the God whose image they're made in. And God takes his presence away from humans and suddenly that completeness of relationship, the shalom that we had is broken. And a rift forms between God and his presence and earth introducing into it this sort of incompleteness and lack of peace that we all live in on a daily basis. And we, like a baby trying to get back to the place of security and peace of the womb, have been trying to figure out how to get back there ever since then. And I think there's really something fundamental about human nature that's contained in that story. Without God, we are incomplete. There's something about God being with us that means there's completeness and peace in us too. 
And Advent is a season of waiting. It's, 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 it's a, what we do for, for the weeks leading up to Christmas is we, we spend some time in the season of Advent where we wait before we get to Christmas and actually finally celebrate God with us. And some theologians point out that the whole story of the Bible up to Christmas is a one long story of Advent, of waiting for peace, for shalom, for completeness to once again come to humans and to earth. And in the in-between time, as the world's continued on, our pattern has been actually to contribute in completeness to the world, right? Peacelessness is not something that just that we experience. I think we tend to think oftentimes of peace, peacelessness for incompleteness is just something that's happening to us a lot of times, right? We get upset about it. But in reality, we contribute it back out again into the world, because out of our anxiety, our burnout, our fears about our identity, our desire to control the future and secure peace, a lot of times what we do is we add more incompleteness and lack of peace into the world. We shift our own lack of peace and incompleteness onto others. We're victims, but we're also perpetrators. We're stuck in this cycle of broken peace. And scripture points this out to us, but not to give us more anxiety and lack of peace, but actually to lead us to completeness and restoration and shalom. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made right, with God, uh, made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, this isn't a Christmas passage. Paul isn't talking about the incarnation here or Christmas. Incarnation is about God taking on flesh, right? The moment where God dwells fully in the man Jesus. But this is a passage about the cross, where God had the flesh that he'd taken on to be with us, ripped off of him in love for us. It's horrific. It completely ruins the mood of a cute little baby coming to bring us peace. But what it ultimately, it's what ultimately makes Jesus worthy of that title, Prince of Peace, He's the one who completely allowed himself to be uh, completely torn asunder so that we may be made complete by him. God broke through that rift and brought completeness or peace between us and him, undoing the tragedy of Eden. And so the completeness that we long for starts with God making peace with us, reversing the story of Eden at Christmas and remaking the condition of completeness that humanity was formed in. And so now that God has come, we can live in completeness and peace once again. So as we close today, I want to just leave you with this reflection. Okay? Peace means God is with me. That's what peace means. Peace means God is with me. I think to be honest, throughout the year as our anxieties and lack of peace kind of builds up, we try to solve the problems on our own or just kind of get swallowed up by them. You can probably think of examples of that in your own life where we sort of trudge back into the world feeling incomplete, but going into it without any completeness ourselves. And a lot of times we end up allowing ourselves to have distance formed between us and God, right? Where God becomes a sort of like a relative that we see, you know, once or twice a year at holidays, I think what we're doing there is we're reliving the original problem and we're limping along in incompleteness. But each year at Advent and at Christmas, we're reminded that that's not the world that we live in. God has come to bring us peace by coming to be with us. 
right? And you often hear this, uh, Emmanuel. It's a name that's given to Jesus. It gets used at Christmas a lot specifically because Christmas is about God coming to be with us. And literally it means, it comes from another passage in Isaiah, um, it means God with us. And by us, we mean all humanity, right? It's common to hear that at Christmas, that just like Adam and Eve in the garden had completeness because they knew God was with them, so now we have completeness again. But I want us to go further than that. I don't want it to be so, I don't want you to think about that in an abstract way this Christmas. I actually want you to really think about what does it look like for me to think of Christmas as not just God with us, but God with me. What does it look like for you this Christmas to meditate on the idea of God is with me? God has come to me to restore me, to make me complete, and to walk forward in wholeness. What would that look like for you to really wrestle and meditate and simmer on that, contemplate on it, meditate it, explore the reality of what it means for God to be with me, with you this Christmas? I bet you that as you wrestled through that question, you would start to find yourself being restored and healed from whatever incompleteness you've been living out of for the last year. And so as we close here, I just want to, you to consider this an invitation to spend the rest of this Advent season as we come up to Christmas pondering that question and asking, how has God come to make me restored, to make me complete, to redeem me back to full peace? What would that look like for me to live in that this Christmas season? We're going to move into a time of communion now where we are coming up to be reminded of what God did in order to give us peace. He came in the form of a little baby. He grew into an adult and he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross. And as we take communion, we're reminding ourselves of that. Uh, we're, We're allowing ourselves to, in some ways, be present with him and think about that, to think about what kind of love must have been behind uh, the Son of Man, Jesus, to come and to restore us back to peace by allowing himself to be ripped apart on a cross. So consider that here as you take communion, and then think about that question. What would it mean for me uh, to really understand this Christmas season that God is with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that... This is a, a season where we can be retuned like, a, like an instrument that has gotten out of tune. Christmas is a time for us to be tuned again once more to the reality that you have come to us. You have bridged the gap between us and you, this, this incompleteness that had formed between humanity and yourself, God. You've, you've bridged that gap by coming to be with us, Lord, and making peace with us, making our relationship with you complete. I pray that as we ponder that and understand that this Christmas season, Lord, that you would help to restore us and make us complete and be healed people, Lord, throughout this season as we really wrestle with and and through your spirit, God, understand what it would mean for us to truly believe and walk in uh, the truth that you are with us, God. Help make that clear to us in our hearts, whatever that might look like, we pray, this Advent season. In Jesus' name, amen.